Hey guys, Rodrigo here. This episode contains spoilers for The Batman, a movie currently in theaters. If you've already seen the movie or are not bothered by spoilers, keep on listening. If you're still waiting to watch the movie, bookmark this episode and return to it when you're ready. You've been warned. The Layered Butter Podcast acknowledges the Mississaugas of the credit of the First Nation of the Anishinaabe people on the traditional territory that we are recording on. Welcome to Layered Butter, the podcast. I'm Rodrigo Cockting. I'm Jordan Sloggett. And it's Bruce Wayne. I'm kidding. It's Raphael Cordero. Hello. This week in the pre-show, we're chatting about corporations leaving Russia, AMC trying out a new business model with a Batman, and then in the main feature, we're going to return to that movie that's what everybody's talking about and give you our important, important thoughts on the Batman. And then we're going to wrap up the episode with Film Club and our hot butter takes for the week. Uh, no housekeeping items this week, guys. So we're good to start if you guys are ready. The house, the is, house clean. is clean. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the house is clean. The house is clean for the first time that is ever. Amazing. <laughs> so let's kick off the pre-show. Uh, top of, uh, of the pre-show, we were going to talk about Netflix and I guess kind of continue our thread from last week. Um, you know, Russia is currently invading Ukraine. And so there's been a lot of, um, I, I guess demand or you know like uh, a boycott almost and people asking companies to do the same thing um, it took a while media companies kind of are I would, say, I would say kind of were like the second tier of these companies leaving Russia uh, Netflix has said they're going to be pausing all future projects and acquisitions from Russia you know Disney announced something similar already um, you know it, the, what was basically left at this point was kind of like McDonald's and Starbucks, but now kind of like on a third tier of things, they've also announced that they're leaving Russia. Yeah. It seems like, uh, you know, the, the window of entertainment and, and joy for Russian citizens is closing quickly, which, which is, I guess, complicated, right? Because like on the one hand, I would imagine one feels a degree of empathy for, for the average, uh, you know, Russian person who no longer has access for these things. On the other hand, I would imagine that, you know, if you look at the polling in Russia and the degree of support um, for Putin in this war, then the people that you're feeling empathy to are people that feel very okay with what is happening. And so in that sense, it is complex. But I mean, I don't know. What do you guys think? Is this fair game? Is this what should happen when 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 something like war is starts or I don't know, should there be a difference here? How do you guys feel? I mean, in the circumstances with Russia, the people of Russia are really the only people who can oppose Putin. And I know that they literally can't because it's an extremely oppressive regime and everything mm-hmm. like that. But like, you know, with being a nuclear superpower, uh, Force from with from outside of Russia is just going to be bad news for everyone. So yeah, if uh, everyone having their Netflix canceled is the the spark that starts the Russian revolution, then go Netflix, I guess. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. Not that I, I kind of. I mean, I, I want that to happen because I'd like to see Putin be overthrown and the Russian people be free. <laughs> even though, of course, there's no revolution without a lot of bloodshed. So yeah, uh, no real good moves to be made all around. Yeah. I think so. I think the sad part about it is that you're going to get a lot of Russian artists or um, even international artists that are trying to get their their films or the creative stuff out. And uh, Netflix was a big one, right? Uh, and almost any kind of studio or creative um, outlet, um, I feel like 
with everything that's going on, just to have Russia as part of your background or your country that you are from, it's going to be blacklisted because of everything that's happened politically, right? Mm-hmm. So um, it's difficult. I mean, it's it's very challenging. There's a Russian filmmaker, man, Katimir Balagov, I think. He directed Beanpole, and he's also doing The Last of Us for HBO, where he did the first two episodes. And I think I just saw him on Instagram and he just like packed up and left because it's not safe for him there. So it's kind of wild. Right. And I feel for any creative and obviously everyone involved in this conflict. Right. So um, Mm -hmm. hopefully we have a resolution soon. Yeah. I mean, I think the the goal at the end of the day too, is to put a lot of pressure on, on the oligarchs that surround Putin and make their lives as miserable as possible. You know, like if they are going to profit from, the war, then they're going to have to stay in a Russia that has no McDonald's, has no Netflix, has no Starbucks. He, they have no access to yachts. They have scarce access to financial funds, international financial funds, etc. Um, it doesn't seem like it's a it's a strategy to be able to end this war in the short term. Short term, but you know we'll see. I guess maybe in in the long term it might have some some stronger results. Mm-hmm. You know, to um, no, we want to pivot too much on this news story, but. Talking about Batman and Russia. Have you guys ever read Superman Red Sun, the graphic novel? Yeah. Yeah. So, in that, uh, basically, the gist of the story, it's an Elseworld comic. So, it's like a a what if event happening. And this one Mm -hmm. is what if Superman, instead of landing in Kansas, lands in the Soviet Union. And then it kind of goes from there. He becomes like the Superman of the Soviet Union and like all that. But uh, Batman is also in the Soviet Union in this and he's still Batman, but he's Russian Batman. So it's like Boris, (laughs) Boris something. Sorry, I'm thinking Bruce Wayne, but something (laughs) Russian. I can't. I I don't know what his name is. It probably is something (laughs) different. Uh, But I just remember he wears the like, I don't know the name of it. You know, the stereotypical Russian hat with the flaps on the, the side super warm thing yeah, yeah he wears that as part of his batman costume and it's pretty great and he's like still a you know warrior for the people um mm-hmm. i think it's more complicated than that because he's against superman it's i don't know it's a whole thing but yeah uh check out superman red sun it's it's got a yeah, fun written by uh, mark millar mm-hmm. hey mark millar interesting yeah, so. And it involves a lot of uh, political parts of it too like the whole stalin versus you know jfk and stuff it's interesting it's very interesting Mm-hmm. Gotta check, check it, out. it out. Yeah. Uh, as a second story uh, in our pre show, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about was AMC, their CEO recently came out, and uh, Adam Aaron, he was talking about kind of like a new business model for theaters that they've had, according to him, they've kind of had in place for a while. Um, the Batman is, is part of these experiments that they've been doing. I think originally what, what they were doing was charging kind of like a premium or more during the weekends, um, mm. uh, shows that are, I guess, like times that are more popular. And now they're doing it for the Batman, a movie that it obviously is expected to and has done a fairly good box office in its opening weekend and will do, right. do, do the same carrying forward. And so he compares it to kind of like when you go to a concert and like the best seats cost more than the rest of them, right? Mm-hmm. So that is his, um, I guess, his proposition to the people. Um, my sense is that if you you're probably more determined by what theaters you have available in your immediate vicinity than you know, like what. So it's like if you have nothing but an AMC, I'm sure, and you want to see the Batman, you're probably going to go do this anyway. Um, how do you guys feel about this? Is this uh, a good way for for theaters that are struggling to make some extra income? Or does this cross a line and just, uh, you know, take advantage of the consumers? 
Listen, you know when you go buy tickets for like your favorite band or show on Ticketmaster, and then they have this thing called platinum seating, and then it when you click it, it says it would differ. Um, the price would differ depending on demand. So on the first day, when when everyone jumps in buy their ticket, this ticket is going to be like five thousand dollars. When in reality, the seat beside it is only two hundred dollars worth, just because there's more people looking to buy it. If AMC or movie theaters begin to do this Ticketmaster process, I think it's going to alienate whatever crowd is left wanting to watch movies in theaters, right? Um, because I feel like already, I mean, Rigo is one of them, choosing not to go see movies as often as, you know, as uh, what we would usually do because of COVID, but even mm-hmm. more so because it's too expensive. I mean, our salaries stay the same. And everything gets more expensive. (laughs) So I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm not down for this. I think this is an experiment that's going to fail. And, and I don't know. Uh, I I hope it doesn't lead to a trend that's going to start happening. And then Canadian theaters like Cineplex will take over and start doing that too, because that's what the Americans do. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not a fan of this either. I think, um, I think it's just, it's a slippery slope that is now, making people question if this becomes a regular practice, like, right. Oh, did I get my money's worth for this ticket? Like did this movie, like this movie was only an hour and 20 minutes and it was like a feel good comedy. This movie was three hours long and it should be longer. Like, I just don't like the way, like the place it's going. Um, it kind of feels like it was a nice, even playing ground. Um, I found an article from the Atlantic in 2012. That was all about why do movie tickets all cost the same? And it kind of gets into the history of like, uh, the uniform pricing and mm-hmm. um, different places that have done different things like that have done different prices in the past. And I don't know, it, it just feels like we're going to reach a point where it's like the big Marvel blockbuster costs $25 and they know uh. people will pay it. And little movies are like serving up. Um, I don't know, like, Oh, please go see our movie. It's $2 <laughs> and like, you'll, so you'll get a book with it or something. And I just, I just don't want to see that like race to the bottom and race to the top. And but would that not be something that would level the playing field a bit? Because if everything costs the same, the only thing that it's like Marvel blockbusters keep on dominating the box office, right? Whereas yeah. if the the cheap movie is like say the the latest J Lo film, then all of a sudden maybe there's more tickets sold for that one. Do you think that's going to change the demand for it though? I mean, if you have a, like a really small indie film with I don't know Joaquin Phoenix or some indie artists there as your lead and no one's watching it, but you price it at two or $3. You think that's going to spark a crowd? I still don't think so. I mean, yeah. I, think it, I don't know if it'll be substantial enough, but I do think that you will see both. If you price up Marvel movies, you will um, pull off the people that were like, I'm not a huge fan of this. I'm just going to see it because my friends are. Then all of a sudden it's like a harder argument to make if you have to pay double, right? And then at this by that same token, if you were barely interested in a movie, but instead of it costing fifteen dollars, it costs five, then you'll be like, sure, I can take a risk. It's kind of like how I feel about three hour movies versus a movie that's an hour and a half. Like if it's an hour and a half, it's like, okay, I'm not losing too much by giving this a try, even if I wasn't as fan of uh, you know, like I wasn't super into it at the beginning. But your fifteen dollars mm-hmm. is not gonna make I mean, it's not gonna feel as much value. If you're watching an hour and a half when you could have spent that $15 for a three hour movie. <laughs> well, I do not charge by, I, I don't, I don't get the value by the minute. I feel like I get it by the emotion felt okay, at the okay. end of it. Fair, fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do think like, to be honest, like I'm, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be a devil's advocate. I'm just saying like trying to think it out out loud, I guess, like if, if it could have any positives, but it does kind of feel like 
rearranging the the deck chairs on the Titanic at this point, you know, it's like the business is shrinking quickly. Mm-hmm. It seems like a move that is being uh, received rather negatively. So it's like, I don't know, are we are we just playing games here or are we really trying to come up with a new model that will will be able to to help theaters increase their business? If movie theaters just lower their pricing in general, like uniform pricing, it just went down like three bucks or two bucks to whatever it was a couple of years ago. Do you think we'll still see a spike in, in sales? And everything well, is the same price, though. Everything. I mean, like, who, who is, is that coming at the cost of theaters or studios, right? Because it's like, like I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, here's the thing. AMC probably has like a nice margin line there. Those but I just, I, I just don't think that they are inclined to be able to do the same amount of business by reducing their margin line. Uh-huh. I think the expectation would be that the studios take their cut. Sure. And like make their cut smaller, so then AMC keeps the same profit lines and makes their tickets cheaper, and then the consumer pays less to go see the movie. But I don't know if that's a realistic scenario. I don't know, man. Yeah. I didn't take ec- economics. Good <laughs> luck to theaters, I guess. I think rearranging the deck chairs on a Titanic, a Titanic is a good um, way to just express that. Like they're just doing whatever they can. Yeah, and I don't know if that's. I don't know if cheaper prices are what's going to keep people away or bring people back to the movie theaters. I Mm -hmm. feel like it's the fact that their television at home is now a portal to more movies than they they can conceive. Yeah, exactly. It's not like the days are old where it's like watch crappy television and television used to be really bad. Like pre Mm -hmm. like, I don't know, 2005, like most TV shows were kind of crappy except for like a handful. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think in t- in five years, ten years, we're probably going to be watching movies in the metaverse anyway. So, oh, <laughs> don't say no, I'm this. not joking. Like, I, I would imagine oh, that at that point, the technology has changed. Where it's like, well, I, I, here's the thing: you're you're scoffing at it, but if they could they could do something that makes you, for all intents and purposes, feel like you're in a movie theater watching this. What is a metaverse, though? I like. Is this Facebook I guess- thing? Or is this well, like VR? Meta, like Facebook is one of the people that are trying to create Ugh. a metaverse, which is just basically, I guess, like a, a fancy word. For uh, a reality that is like outside of mm-hmm. our real, like a matrix, you know, it's like uh, obviously oh no. not to the degree that you can plug in, but something <laughs> of that sort. It is an interesting point, though, that like, you know, uh, some concerts have been held on online platforms like yes. um, uh, Fortnite, the video game. Like, <laughs> um, I forget the name, Marshmallow, I think, or someone had a, a concert in Fortnite. Yeah. And that's kind of interesting, right? Because like, it gives you the opportunity to be part of a virtual crowd, which is obviously something people want. So I don't know. I, I think when we do get the first chances where you can pre-order your ticket to a movie and watch it at home in a virtual theater, Wild. but you yeah. get the like, I don't know, the laughter and the gasps and like the experience of the movie theater. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like no one can use their cell phone and somehow it also like cuts out people talking to each other. Like, yeah, that's and, so neat. Here, and I, I do want to clarify that. I don't think we are there yet. Like, I don't think anything. You said rivals five years. Are, yeah, well, I, I still said five, 10 years. I was like, I'm <laughs> like, things are going to advance quickly in that sense because like, every, like Facebook changed their name to meta for that specific purpose that they want mm-hmm. to get into that business of trying to create whatever that looks like next. And they're not the only ones, right? There's a lot of people that have like a big vested okay. interest into uh-huh. making this succeed. So mm-hmm. it's like, I don't think that experience that they're offering right now is in any way comparable. I'm just saying that in the future, in 10 years, that maybe that theater experience that you're looking for is something that you will be able to replicate from the comfort of your own home, in which case, RIP theaters, you know? Damn. That hurts. RIP? 
Well, not yet, but five to 10 years, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) I think theaters, like you're right. The big multi, like every small town having like a big Cineplex with like 15 screens that Mm -hmm. might go away. And (sighs) maybe we'll see the rise of like the small theater that does do the like weird, unique. Here's an event to come out to. We're going to have someone speak about something. We're going to have like, you know, it'll end up shrinking. It'll end up being the same way like record stores are now. Right. Like, Fewer yeah. of them, but there's still some diehards and there's still places to go gather and enjoy a movie together. Laird Butter mm. 2028. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Guys, maybe that's what we'll call it for the pre-show. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Batman. And I'm excited for this one. I- I'm excited to be able to chat about this movie. But first, a quick break. Layered Butter is brought to you by Hola Translation. Hola Translation is a Spanish translation agency that can help you translate anything you need into the world's fourth most spoken language. Whether you're looking for your advertisement to have a bigger impact in the Hispanic community, or you need personal documents translated from Spanish to English, Hola Translation offers quick service at competitive prices. Hola Translation is offering Layered Butter listeners 5% off all their services across the board. Go to holatranslation.org and use the promo code BUTTER, that's B-U-T-T-E-R. Say goodbye to Google Translate and say hola to Hola Translation. And we're back. Guys, it is finally time to talk about this movie that we have been waiting for Can for I do years. this? Can I do this part, Rod? I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to do that. Okay, I'm sorry. Is that your Christian Bale or is that your Robert Pattinson? No, it's the Raph. It's the Raphael Cordero. That's what you would do. <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> Guys, um, yeah, so full spoiler warning. For, uh, we're going to have a very spoiled, spoiler-filled conversation about this movie. Um, I thought just off the top, high level, let me know what you thought about this movie. I know that all of us have seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw it in, in the opening weekend, which was uh, the goal here. Um, let's, so, so let's <laughs> let's hear it. I, I, maybe I can start. I thought The Batman was a great movie. I think it is perhaps one of my favorite Batman movies that um, has ever come out. I think uh, nice. it has delivered in one of the places where I felt was most lacking, which was the detective Batman. It is, of course, not without some flaws that, you know, kind of felt smaller at one point and, and grew a bit like a parasite in the days that I've been thinking about this movie. But I think it is a fantastic first step in a new direction. Um, the, some of the issues that I have with it, we can discuss later. I'm hoping will be things that will be resolved in, in future iterations. How did you guys feel? Well, I I really liked it. I mean, I felt like uh, I was lucky enough to see it in the morning, which was a good way to see this because uh, it's a long movie, mm-hmm. but it felt like it really held my attention the other like <sighs> the entire time. It had a really nice like momentum to it, um, and I loved the look of it. Like I I want to go back and watch it again. Like that opening. Um, I guess first the opening fifteen in, minutes. Oh first my fifteen God. minutes in the introduction of Batman, like the best introduction of Batman in, yeah. in a Batman movie. Uh, Pattinson was great. The supporting cast was great. Like, yeah, I, I think um, it could definitely grow with rewatches. I think it's definitely up there with one of my favorite Batman movies I've ever seen. Um, I think I'd have to kind of watch it back to back with the dark Knight, which was so great back when we all first saw it in 2008. And I feel like that star is like faded just a little bit. And then mm-hmm. we forget how like clunky that like, 
last act is, but we're not here to talk the Dark Knight. We're here to talk the Batman. And yeah, I really liked it. Uh, Raph, what did you think about it? So uh, if you guys are listening to this, you can go to LairdButter.com slash editorial and check out my review of the, of the Batman. Five stars. I, I love this film. I've seen it twice. Uh, I saw it early on the week. Then I had to see it again on the weekend. And I don't know. I, I think my opinion hasn't changed on it. I think at first I thought, whoa, I'm blinded by the hype. But after seeing it the second time, it solidified the hype. And I think it is, if not my favorite uh, rendition of Batman, but also my favorite comic book film that I've seen ever. Okay. Wow. And you've heard it here, folks. No, I, I think it was great. Um, as Jordan said, the first 15 minutes is probably some of the best sequences, especially the introduction of Batman, how they made him so scary. I know we'll talk about that in a bit, but also just the film. I mean, with a three hour long, uh, uh, long runtime, it never felt like it dragged. And I felt like seeing this iteration of Batman was such a complete vision of, um, of style and narrative that I was totally. So, uh, yeah, no, this is awesome. I mean, I had a lot of fun, right? So I'm really excited to dive deep into Matt Reese's Batman right now. Yeah, I agree with the, the, the time for the most part. I do think that like for the two hours and say like 40 minutes that it had my attention. It had my full attention, but then I was just like, the last 15 minutes did feel like it dragged for me. Sorry, the last 15 minutes of the entire film. Of the entire film. I just felt like, because it almost felt like it concluded, and then it's like, oh, wait, let me give you an extra thing of what we're going to do next, right? And Mm -hmm. it's just kind of like, I feel like you didn't need to do that because a a movie trailer will accomplish the same thing as the tease at at the end. And I think this is true of like any franchise building. Sure. Like, I think you should be less... Uh, obsessed about like oh we're gonna What's leave next? these crumbs here mm-hmm. because it's like at the end like when he's wrapping up his journal entry which is like another thing that I enjoy very much <laughs> but like when he's closing up his diary like I think you had sealed a perfect movie and then everything that came after seemed more like you know let's set up Bloodhaven let's set up the Joker let's set up this and it's kind of like sure. I, I think like I could have uh, used those 15 minutes to go for a quick pee Apparently what a guy they, uh, <laughs> what a guy <laughs> Apparently they did have uh, scenes, or sorry, they did a test screening with the, so we can just get right into it. We already said spoilers. We're Um, here. Riddler gets arrested and in Arkham, he's cellmates or not cellmates. They're next to each other, which I (laughs) I don't think in Arkham, they shouldn't be able to talk to each other. That seems like a bad idea. (laughs) But anyway, him and the Joker are like right next to each other. Uh, The Joker is um, voiced slash played by, yeah, who we just saw in Eternals this past year. Right. Um, and I, I don't know. That was the only time where I was kind of feeling like, I don't know know about this. Like (laughs) I don't hate it. Like they didn't really do much. They didn't show much of him. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of fun. I don't know. Apparently there's a deleted scene. And, um, uh, just for those who don't know that website in the movie that, uh, Rada Alada, um, not the Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) You can say that to Batman too. But anyway, no, this website that, um, that's in, in the film. That there were two scenes for the Joker. One that we saw in the final cut, which is um, the Riddler talking to Barry uh, Keegan, and and another scene where the Batman meets this um, meets the Joker in an interrogation cell at Arkham. But that was cut from the movie. I think we might see that soon. I don't know. I could be just reading rumors, but um, 
we might see that. And yeah, my take on it is that I don't know if it was really needed. Like my other thing is there've been so much iterations of Joker and I get that when you do Batman, you need to have the Joker because they're like arch nemesis, right? Mm -hmm. Arch nemesis. But you know, I, I, uh, I want to see the other side of Gotham and some of the other lesser known uh, villains because Batman has the best rogues gallery, right? Or one but of the best rogues gallery. Who do you think you could see in this universe? Calendar Man would be pretty interesting. But that's basically the Riddler. Yeah, but I mean, like Cal- Calendar Man, um, oh, Black I, Mask. I thought Clayface. I heard someone, um, I thought Matt Reeves, maybe this was an interview or something I heard that he said. Was uh, that he was interested in doing Mr. Freeze? I would love that. Um, I would. I, love I have that. heard Mr. Freeze been thrown around so much. I do not Victor Freeze. understand. <laughs> like, and I love Mr. Freeze, but it's like, what are we saying here? A man with a with an ice gun, or is this like <laughs> a, a different interpretation of it? Like, I, I'm I'm confused. I suspect You're it confused. won't be as much of like a sci-fi ice gun <laughs> that like sprays. That, you know, that freezes people that can then be unthawed, like in uh, Batman. Forever. Just a guy or sorry, Batman bank Robbins. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Justin Trudeau is Mr. Freeze. Uh, no, I think, um, I, I don't know. I think there's something that they could do there that's like. I would love to see Mr. I Freeze. Mean, I, I, lo- I love Mr. Freeze. I love Clayface. I love Mambat. I love Poison Ivy. Man these are all. Oh my God. Yeah, Mambat is like a werewolf bat I know, situation. I, know. I was like, bro. But it, and it's like, these are all villains that I love, but it's like, I can't see them existing in it's because it seems like, once again, Matt Reeves has decided that we are doing grounded and realistic, reality. grounded uh-huh. Batman, right? So it's, and here's the thing I enjoyed the movie, and I, I think he has the right to, but it's like, it kind of seems like that automatically excludes mm-hmm. all the other, you know, like, is a woman going to be able to control plants? Yes. I don't know. Yes. Okay. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> Come on. I I just like my my reading of of that watching that movie was like that that is not the vibe, and I would be happy to be wrong because again, like my favorite villains of Batman are on that side. All right. Hot take. What if they do a like it's Poison Ivy, and she's just an eco terrorist who's trying to like fight against destruction of like the environment, and then Mister Freeze is fighting against global warming and he is also an eco-terrorist <laughs> and he's just called Mr. Freeze because he's like, I don't know, just doing something. And I mean, they just don't call him Mr. Freeze and it's just like Victor Freeze and that's it. That, that is how far I will go to hide the fantasy. Yeah, it, it's just like, it, it's not sure, it's just not really them, right? Like, I mean, mm-hmm. like, sure, I, I, I don't think that that would stop it from maybe still being a good movie. I just don't think that that would be either Poison Ivy or Mr. Freeze. I think it would be super interesting, though. Like, I, I think Scarecrow. I, Scarecrow is a really cool Batman villain. I know they've done it already, but I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like he, it could work. Yeah, and I think like what Nolan world. did with Scarecrow was grounded, but yeah. still working, right? Like mm-hmm. some type of gas that makes you see freaky shit. So we're talking about Batman's rogues gallery, but what about Batman's super friends? And like, is this mm. a Batman that you could see hanging around Robin? with Superman, with Robin, with what, like having a a weird flirty dynamic with Wonder Woman, like Bruh. maybe not the, the Wonder Woman and you know, those DC. characters that have no. been in DC so I mean, far, I could, but... I could barely see him interacting with Alfred and he did. <laughs> so you know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem like this is a man with, with many friends or any attachment whatsoever. I, I feel like somewhere down the line though, I don't know if I could be wrong here, but that kid, the mayor's kid had a lot of screen time. Now I can't tell if Matt Reeves was just doing that as an emotional hook for Robert or Bruce yeah. Wayne. Or that kid's going to grow up to be a character later on down the road as like 
Robin or I, I don't know because isn't Robin like a circus dude like Dick Grayson or there's, there's been a lot of Robins. iterations yeah. of Robin. Yeah. Right. One so. of them, many of them often end up sharing tragic backstories with Batman. So it's like, you're not wrong in that sense. I do think that like that for that kid to be of an age where we're oh, like, that's true. Okay. okay with Batman putting him in danger <laughs> has to at least like, I'm going to say 15 years have to have passed in which case like Robert Pattinson has to be it's playing like much, much older. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I don't, do you guys, do you guys see partnerships here? I, I really don't. I think I hope that's, not. Like I, I just, I, I, I feel like this Batman just works great alone. I could see <laughs> Catwoman. I could see sure. maybe something like an Oracle. Maybe uh-huh. and it's interesting uh-huh. because there was a point in this movie where he was Oracle, right? Which was kind of mm-hmm. uh, a bit of a departure where he was guiding Catwoman through <laughs> the Iceberg the Lounge. Is that yeah. what it's called? Sure. Uh, whatever it was. Um, and so I thought that was, it almost seemed like a nice little Easter egg for people that knew of the Bat family. But I can't really, like, you know, and Selena Kyle ends up going to Bloodhaven, which is where uh, Nightwing lives in in the the batman universe right but right. again nightwing is kind of somebody that already had a past with batman and moved beyond it and still teams up but mm-hmm. i i can't see much of that here at least not in the same way it i so we're kind of touching on one of the most interesting themes in the movie that i i liked was that we start with a batman who's fueled by vengeance and then realizes that like Oh, this isn't actually what the city needs. Like, this is kind of. It needs to be what, a symbol, right? Yeah. Well, not that, because he already was a symbol. He was a symbol of vengeance fear. and fear. Yeah. But he needed to also be a symbol of hope and he needed right. to be right. like something that people could look up to and not actually be afraid of. Yeah. Uh, which we got with the great scenes, like the opening scene where the, the man that he saves is like terrified of him. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when the woman doesn't want to let go of his hand, uh, which is, you know, Maybe yeah. it's heavy handed or whatever. And, but and like, those, I like I mean, it. There was a, a giant flood giving Blair. the city yeah. a baptism. So it's like <laughs> not subtlety was not the goal here. But I do agree. That was like, a, I think like the stronger, th- it, the part that bothered me of this, and this is like a minor nuance with it though, is like nobody in Gotham seems to understand a metaphor as in like the man said, I am vengeance. And then I think everybody was just like, this guy's name is vengeance. vengeance. Like over and over, everybody was like, Catwoman kept on calling him vengeance. Do you want to go team up and like here, blah, blah, blah. Or then in the end, people quoting him verbatim, I am vengeance. Um, it's like, I, 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 I guess like my reading of it was like, I don't think he meant it. Like literally his name is not vengeance. I think he was just saying that he represents vengeance. And I was surprised that everybody in Gotham city, uh, no, but I, I think literally. that's what like the, the, the Riddler's thugs at the end. And they're like, who are you? It's like, I'm vengeance. I think they're imitating Batman, not saying like, Hey man, your actual name is vengeance. I think they were imitating or inhibiting what they were supposed to be to Gotham mm-hmm. right in a negative way. Um, and I think just. Catwoman was just being kind of, you know, seductive, being like, hey, vengeance, hello. <laughs> well, I guess it's like if you had one with the without the other, I would have that's kind of where I would have fallen. But sure. it just seemed like so repetitive that they kept on calling him okay, vengeance. See, and at no point call him Batman because he doesn't call himself Batman. Which right? I like. I like that too. No, there was I, I don't no mention of But it it's just like it seemed like a lot of people thought when they saw that that first video that this man uh dressed in black beating people up in the city is vengeance. But can we talk about Paul Dano and the Riddler? What are your feels on Mr. Paul Dano, Edward Nashton here? I liked it a lot. I I think he really, he did an interesting performance that was like, I mean, in some ways you could say like, is this, is this really the Riddler? Like if you just changed his name to the Joker and didn't really change anything else about it, like, could it be a Joker performance? But no, I think it had that, like, that, like, you know, he was 
unhinged. Kind of insecure. He was unhinged. I loved the part at the end where he was essentially talking to his subscribers and like (laughs) dropping the voice and like (laughs) smash that subscribe button. Uh, Don't forget to rise up. Like, I I don't know. I really liked what they did there and that whole talk about like, um, you know, just uprising and whatnot. Yeah. And like the, the scary thing about how, like how would a modern day Batman supervillain recruit like, I don't know how they recruited back in the sixties, but like, yeah, of course it's like getting an unhinged um, supporter base on the internet to buy into your, your ideas. And that's why it was interesting that he thought he had a comrade in Batman. He thought that they were partners. He thought that they were working towards the same goals because from the outside, it maybe looks that way. Like Batman's walking around. He's a vigilante. Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So is the Riddler in a way he's just, a little bit more brutal and I don't know. The movie did an interesting thing of like going over the top and making the Riddler very unlikable for the sadistic stuff that he does. But it's not that he was, not that he was justified, but like he was going after some really sick criminal elements and he did expose something. He did push the Batman into becoming greater than just beating up straight thugs. (laughs) So I don't know. It's hard. Not I mean, to... I think the, the questionable part is like the people with shotguns on the roof and the city. <laughs> oh, of, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. Um, that part is awful, but yeah, I mean, I would say that to me, the Riddler. So it's like, I would divide it in two that. I think Paul Dano did a fantastic job in that role, but I think the Riddler, the character within the movie is kind of where I have the most issues with this movie. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but um, Zack Snyder has that movie uh, for a well, punch something. Sucker punch. Sucker, Sucker punch. punch. And in that movie, they describe like this one girl as this great dancer. And then they show you the <laughs> dancing and it doesn't live up to the hype. Right. And yeah. similarly, it's like if you like if you're writing a novel, if you're reading a book, if you're watching a movie and then they describe someone as like, oh, he's hilarious then your expectation of his level of hilarity is going to to be very high, right? And so it's like when you have a character like the Riddler, whose whole thing is like these incredibly clever riddles that only he is only equaled by the world's greatest detective, Batman, the expectation going into it for me was fairly high. And I think for most of it, it fell very flat, like in terms of, of his riddles and the they solving of the easy. riddles. Yeah. Like narratively, it's like the two ones that are kind of like actual riddles, which was like the, you know, lying still mm-hmm. and justice. Like I literally mouthed them before Batman did. And it's like, I feel like <laughs> Batman and I should not be on the same level here. And then when he's solving like the rat with wings thing, like he goes through a variety of like, Batman, I mean, here at this point, like a variety of choices that are kind of meant more so to guide the movie, but kind of make him look a lot dumber. Like there's a bit of... But he's year two Batman. I mean, he he made a mistake. He was also led on by Alfred. Alfred brought up this... No, or Gordon. Gordon brought up the stool pigeon, I think. No, he brought up the stool pigeon, and I think Gordon brought up the penguin. Oh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because Batman is the first one that says like a bat with wings is a stool pigeon and a rat with wings is a stool pigeon. And I was like, is that a lost in translation for me? Because I was I didn't grow up in North America. So I was like, a rat with wings to me is a bat. Like from that, that is like my right. most immediate sentiment. I yeah. and then I was like, maybe that's a North American thing. But then they went into like, okay, not a stool pigeon, a rat with wings is a penguin. 
And I'm like, okay, what? And then it ended up being not Batman either, right? It ended up being Falcone, which was, yeah. I guess, like he was a rat and also a falcon and has wings. Thanks. Yeah. But it's like, it didn't seem like the most elegant of transition you know, of it, just like in terms of the character. Because again, like the Riddler's thing is like this cunning mind that is rivaled only by the Dark Knight, right? So it's mm-hmm. like, it just didn't turn it, that fell a little bit flat to me. Yeah. And then the other part too is in the end, He's basically like his whole end game was like, I made you bring Falcone out and you did it and I shot him. But Falcone was out at the funeral, too. And the Riddler was there. So it's like, like, could we not have done this? Like, why movie wise, like, why do we bring Falcone into the funeral if the whole plot would have just been at the end, like getting him out of the iceberg thing? Right. So it's like the Riddler part to me is like where this movie loses all of its like the I gave it a four out of five. And the point that I took away from it was just like narratively, I think is like where it's not perfect. Like I think acting wise and like direction wise, like everything to me was like a plus, but just some of the choices of like the the narrative to me don't don't really work. I I think it's interesting that you bring up um, uh, what's it called? How easy the riddles were and i i kind of sort of agree here i feel like maybe if for a film that's really um relying heavily on the detective genre of mm-hmm. batman maybe i would have appreciated it more if the, uh, the if there was more riddle solving i expected more riddles too i wanted more really complex ones where it's just like holy fuck what's next like yeah. this entire sequence where peter sarsgaard's character um gil colson who is a scumbag that's a great yeah. sequence but mm-hmm. where he had to re um solve the three riddles before he gets blown up. Mm-hmm. That was fun. That was super tense. I yeah. enjoyed it. But I, I think I'm, I, I wanted a little bit more riddles. You're right. Yeah. Right. It was because, one riddle and two forced mm, confessions really is what he right, wanted. Yeah. But there was, there was a couple of uh, like every time Batman got a letter, Batman got a, um, uh, a card and there was a riddle or there was a next clue. I loved it. Right. I was like, I love this. I love this cat and mouse game that we're playing here, which I really, really appreciated. But I, I do think you're right, too. I feel like maybe if they leaned a little bit more in the complexity of some of these um, uh, riddle choices or, you know, these games um, that they were leaving behind for Batman, I think it would be super, super... I mean, it, it would highlight... Um, I think it would elevate both the elevate, Riddler and yeah. Batman, right? Exactly. Like, as being able to solve this very complex thing. Because, again, I, I not not to, to diss Batman, but it's like I'm confused as to who he is... Uh, like the level of intellect, like in the comic books, he is like a genius in terms of deduction, right? Like nobody can beat him. Like the, 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 the recurring joke in DC comics is like who would win uh Batman or say like dark side or Superman. It's like, it, the answer is always like Batman. If he has prep time, because he can figure things out and find a way right. to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, I'm like, is this man like smart or not? Cause it's like, for example, it seems that somebody that was, an, a, a big intellect would realize in a city that is corrupt and managed by money that his wealth has a soft power that he can take advantage of to do the things that he needs to do. Right. But it seems from the story that that's not something that Bruce Wayne was interested in doing at all. Right. So it seems like he is like every everything is a nail and he's a hammer. Like, but it, it seemed like, is that who we want? Like, is that who right. the character is supposed to be? Because especially in solving some of the Riddlers in choosing the Riddler, I thought kind of the idea and leaning more on the detective side of things. Like I thought that's more what we were going to see. Like somebody that has a much more cunning player of 
chess in this city. And I don't think that's who he was. Like maybe the maybe the answer is that, that that's not who he was in the first two years of, exactly. that's of how Gotham I interpreted City. It, but it's right. kind of like, well, okay, but is he that person or At not? The end of the right. Day. Right. And mm-hmm. that like again, it's like kind of like the, the Riddler stuff is like where where it fell short to me. And also just to touch on what Jordan mentioned earlier, the social media platform that he was on, like what's going on here? The FBI is not tracking somebody making violent threats. Like where nobody was like paying his subscription fee to be able to watch that last video that he uploaded. Like only his something followers were able to see it, but nobody in terms of like law enforcement knew that this was happening. He made you check a box that says, if you're a cop, are you a cop? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Sorry. You ahead, Jordan. uh, I, it's, there's so many places to go in this movie and so many like performances to talk about, but uh, it is interesting to talk about like where a sequel could go and where this Batman could, could become. I think something that would be interesting that we didn't get to see a lot of in this one was um, his take on Bruce Wayne, because obviously yep. uh, this is a Bruce Wayne who's, I mean, well, first off the entire movie is I think just under a week starts on Halloween night ends on November like, 6th. Yeah. yeah. It's November 6th or something. So, we're not seeing, oh, uh, you know, where it's not like the the Bale movies, the Nolan movies, where we're just getting mm-hmm. like indiscriminate time jumps and like it can just be at any time it wants to be. So he's he's very driven, he's very focused. So we don't get to see his like fun Bruce Wayne, you know, Playboy millionaire. This was, I think, the first Batman movie where there isn't like a gala scene where Bruce Wayne is like. Smooth, uh, smoozing around, yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, we which I appreciate, it, but we also we also get the strong implication that it's not there, right? Like when the character Bella Real sure. me- meets him at the funeral, she oh, yeah, strongly yeah, implies yeah, that the right. Waynes were very charitable, a very very charitable family that helped out, and that he has done none of that. Mm-hmm. Which then, like, kind of struck the question to me: then, like, why is the Martinez cop? into him you know like why is he so excited <laughs> to see Martinez Bruce Wayne <laughs> Bruce Wayne the millionaire as opposed to like the disdain that he has like I think like the goal of that is kind of showing like how how important how he is. Batman is not like a, a perfect person in in this world where mm-hmm. it's like Bruce Wayne could be kind of thing but it's like if Bela Real is implying that this man has kind of hidden in the last 20 years and specifically in the last two or so then why would anybody have like a strong uh relationship towards Bruce Wayne. So I do think I agree. Like, I think that's the part where Matt Reeves can really do a lot. Like, I think he has a bit of a blank canvas, but I do hope that um, the character Bruce Wayne kind of figures out like, what's up. I think Christian, uh, uh, Christian Bale, I was going to say Christian Nolan, Christopher Nolan and Christian Bale, (laughs) uh, their version of um, Batman. And I don't mean this like disdainfully, even though I don't actually like the character I'm about to compare him to, but was kind of like Iron Man in that he used his resources to be able to fix the problems that the city was encountering. And this version is a detective, right? And it's trying to figure out the clues and then through some somewhat okay fighting skills, be able to to solve the issue, right? And I think to me, the character of Batman is mostly the detective, but he because he's a smart person, he figure he knows the power that he has as Bruce Wayne. And I don't think this character knows that. And I'm yeah. hoping that that's something that Matt reads. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's also not like a 15-year-old, right? Like Robert Pattinson is a 28-year-old man in this movie. Mm-hmm. So it's like that's like I hope that that's where the character is going next. I agree. I think uh Matt Reeves has uh purposely um, left a lot of Bruce Wayne's story unspoken for yet, right? Because I think he wanted to just bring Batman to life as a detective, 
um, in his first year or second year or whatnot. And then we look at little glimpses of uh, Bruce Wayne's social um, and also, I guess, political life later on when he gets... If if they do introduce like um, Wayne Enterprises and all that as a major factor in his storyline in the sequels, um, but I I did enjoy it that we didn't see a lot of Bruce. I mm-hmm. think I I had a lot of fun knowing that this story was strictly about the Batman, mm-hmm. not the duality of Batman and Bruce. Yeah, I I really did like the scene where Bruce shows up at the the nightclub. And I believe it's, <laughs> I think it's the second time that he shows up, right? Cause yeah. he shows yeah. the first time as Batman and he does the <laughs> mm-hmm. whole, do you know who I am? Yeah. yeah. And then he fights his way through them. And then the second time and they're just like, Oh, Bruce Wayne, like, <laughs> hello, come on in. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean that whole nightclub and the twins and all that was, was really great. And, uh, yeah. Uh, something else that's, it's really small, but it's the first time that, um, a Batman movie has acknowledged that Batman has to wear black mascara under his oh, like under his um, eyes. Yeah. And like there's a, I mean, it's, it's been talked about, but like in um, Batman returns, there is a scene where Batman rips off his mask in front of a uh, cat And I think Max Shrek is there as well. Um, mm-hmm. And played by Christopher Walken. And uh, there's like a quick cut where he's got the eyeliner underneath the mask and then he turns and he goes to rip it off. And you can see for just a second that he's not wearing it so that when he takes the mask off, he doesn't have eyeliner on. But then you can see the like white around his eyes and it looks weird. Um, But I love how this one's just like, no, like, yeah, of course he has to wear eye makeup under there. And then like (laughs) when he gets home and takes his mask off, he's like smelly and greasy and like (laughs) weird. And like Mm -hmm. he looks like all hunched over in that. Um, I mean, was this the best rendition of the Batcave? It, I mean, outside very of like small, it was very small. Which I, um, I maybe I'm used to Nolan's where it's like literally a cave. But I, I mean, think this we is get Wayne one Tower. cave, yeah. Right. It, so this isn't under Wayne Manor. You're right. He visits yeah, yeah. Wayne Manor. It's now been an orphanage for a long time. Yeah. This is under Wayne Tower, and it's an old subway station. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, which I thought was really cool. I like the sound of the bats that they had, and that was like always in the background, and. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Wayne Tower is interesting. I think yeah. the choice of Wayne Tower, I mean like the the architecture, uh the interior design Inside, choices of yeah. it were were gothic I mean, confusing. I guess it's like <laughs> is this, this where people want to like Alfred and the other maid, but I think it's interesting, very very interesting to me and I kind of love this choice for him because I do think that it could hint to something like a Court of Owls, which I'm right. hoping is where they might go next um mm. with with Snyder stuff. Um in terms of the the Batcave, uh are you guys familiar with um they called Sanderson's Three Laws of Magic? No. Uh, no. Is this it's what's referenced in the that for, with that Christopher Nolan movie? What's it called? Prestige? No, yeah. I don't think so. I no, no, this is more modern storytelling um techniques, kind of thing. It's basically like rules of magic that you have to write into your your fiction so that it is consistent within you and that you don't lose your your audience behind. And I was trying to find out like has somebody ever written something similar about technology? Because I could not for the life of me figure out like what level of tech we're dealing with at this point. Like, uh, you know, the, the contact lenses that contact lens camera with some type of like ability oh, yeah. to transmit seems very, very high. But then mm-hmm. at some point, uh, Alfred is just filling out ciphers manually. Like <laughs> you think that they would be like an algorithm that's just running this in the background to like, you know, like Bruce is asking them like, why did you do two O's? And he's like, oh, I'm just like using doing whatever double letters. And then in the end, like they do end up using like a computer to kind of like get rid of like all the other ones. 
But I'm just like, what level of tech are, are we using here? Like the, the the squirrel suit doesn't seem like particularly high tech considering like how rough the landing was. But the Batmobile <laughs> seems pretty high tech. So this is like, I where know, are we? Was the Batmobile high tech? I thought of it as just like powerful. Like it reminded me of something out of like Mad Max. Like yeah, just mm-hmm. that's, like that's he, a great, you know, yeah. he welded together the most powerful like muscle car he could buy and then like a jet engine attached to it and then just reinforcing it with like as much metal as he could so that he could drive through concrete cylinders like full speed. Yeah. Did you guys well, I like, guess, the, I, sorry, I guess that's ahead. where, where I think like, I mean, I don't know if that's tech or not. Like that's my, inter- like just speed and durability is like, it seemed like it is beyond like a regular car. Right? Yeah. I mean, so is like the bat suit is beyond mm-hmm. what armor can do, but yeah, I did like, uh, I, I guess for the technology, it kind of reminded me of um, maybe the technology level of Batman, the animated series where it takes place in like a quasi like looks like 1920s, 30s, but it's also yeah. retro futurism. And the technology is like exactly as complex as it needs to be for any given plot element. Like, yeah, you need to have yeah. super small radio transmitting uh, contact lenses. You got them. But mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Raffle, did you guys you like the fact? No. Did you like the fact that, um, you know, we were talking about kind of briefly year two Batman and um there were moments where that naivety kind of came out or even, um, you know, I felt like the immersion of Batman broke because he was so new at the job and a, obviously aside from him attempting to do the riddles, um, and, uh, doing the, uh, what's it called? Rata a lot bit, but like when he came out of the, um, the police station and he was like on top of the building and he was like, Holy fuck. Right. He's <laughs> a like, little bit so scared high. of heights. What, what, what do I do next? And then when he jumps out, jumps off and then he, I guess, um, unconsciously, uh, pulls out the parachute, but it was either too early at the wrong time and he crash, crash and burns. Mm-hmm. And also when he's in the Batmobile and he's like intimidating the penguin and he's about to like floor it, but the, the car stalls. Right. And like, I don't know. I, I kind of like those little moments. Yeah. My, my I wife like hated it, too. it. Oh, really? She wants a perfect Batman. She wants a perfect Batman. That's a problem. I like <laughs> the idea of a Batman. Like the, the, the point that you said where he gets out at the police station and you see him like, there's like a, holy shit. Like, I don't want to jump right now. Like exactly. It, it, it's fun right. to have a Batman who's not encountered. Everything is still <laughs> a little bit of afraid is like unnerved when he, you know, he, his whole thing of like when, the Riddler is revealing his plan and talking to him. Like he's freaked out by the Riddler. He's scared that the Riddler is going to reveal who he is. He's um, uh, like, yeah, it was kind of fun having a Batman who wasn't perfect, which I think was not a flaw with the Bale's Batman's, but you know, the Christian Bale's Batman spends a lot of time like talking about his struggles, but then he's just like man of perfect James Bond action when he needs to be. And yeah, I like I having it. one who I was... didn't mind the the stalling of the car. I do have a bit of an issue with the the heights um fear. <laughs> because what does he go all the way up to that construction site and he looks out to the city half the time? Just in general, the idea of giving uh, Bruce Wayne an additional fear beyond his already well-known fear of bats and fear of of guns and now like fear of heights. Like I think we're I mean I, I do enjoy the idea of giving him extra flaws, but extra fears seem complicated in a character the weapon is fear. To be fair, he didn't like have a panic attack he just had a moment of like Uh, okay i I am about to jump off this building and it's a little freaky so (laughs) right but i mean like it's a specific choice by a writer to add that in to convey a fear right like it's i don't think it's accidental that he Mm. he's like shocked by it um i i wanted to bring up also uh the cinematography for this film is remarkable right so 
Greg Frazier also did Dune, right? And I think he also did Rogue One. Uh, but there's that scene where he's uh, coming for Carmine Falcone, right, in the darkness, and he he beats up a bunch of goons in mm-hmm. complete darkness, and all you see is the illumination of each of the, um, uh, the gunfire, right? Uh, mm-hmm. The scene where he's in the water uh, at the... Um, the stadium and he's leading the people out with a flare. Yeah. And just some of them, the, the shots like beautifully right- shot that the flare scene, I think the- perhaps my favorite shot of that movie. Ooh. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I feel like the grittiness and the darkness of this Batman was uh, remarkable. Oh, also it's raining like 24 seven there in this Gotham. I was just right. going to, I had a note about the rain. This must, this movie has to have had the highest rain budget of any like <laughs> blockbuster. Cause my God, like a beautiful rain too. It wasn't like yeah. cheap looking rain. It was thick, no, heavy it was, drops. It was, it was heavy like droplets, man. This, there was a lot of towels on set and like hair dryers <laughs> and stuff to, to keep things running. I imagine we didn't, Oh my gosh. We didn't even talk about this guy yet, but Mr. Colin Farrell, what's your feels on this campy, crazy and hilarious penguin, Oswald Cobblepot. What's your feels, Rod? I, I liked him. I, I, you know, I, I, I enjoy uh, Batman Returns and, you know, Danny DeVito's portrayal of a literal penguin, comma penguin, <laughs> uh, is fun and is entertaining. And I, I do not hold it against him. But I think this is a lot closer to the comic book penguin, who's just kind of like a mobster. Um, you know, Colin Farrell is uh, unrecognizable in this role. And mm. Obviously, that's a credit to him. I have heard from from third party people saying, like, why even bother casting him if you're you're not going to see him or hear him? And I, I guess, like, I don't know. I guess you could, if you could find that other person and you want to hire him, that's fine. <laughs> but I wouldn't hold it against Colin Farrell for losing himself in a character and, like, delivering what needed to be delivered, right? Like, I think he did a great job. I think, like, the, the chase scene on the highway. Oh, my goodness. I mean, just as somebody that lives close to the 401, I have, like, logistical <laughs> questions about, like, the probability of that the chase, chase scene. But the action of it is, like... Amazing. I think like the best chase scene that we've seen in, in Batman and, you know, like the the excitement and uh, almost like psychotic vibe that Colin Farrell was putting out in, mm-hmm. in that scene was uh, was amazing. I, I think acting wise, like maybe I feel like uh, Zoe Kravitz was like not at like the A plus level that everybody else was, but she was at worst an A, you know, like I, I don't think there is much to criticize acting wise in this movie. If anything, I'm a James thought, Gordon, man. Sorry. I, I love him. James oh, yeah. Gordon play. Like, uh, Jeffrey Wright. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Wright. Yeah. Half yeah. the time. It's just like, Jesus. I loved how many Jesuses Batman's <laughs> appearances got. Uh, oh, is this the first Batman to drop um, an F bomb or did Affleck's Batman technically drop an F bomb in like Justice oh, League? Interesting. I don't even remember. This might or be the first I? like, but uh, yeah. yeah, there was an F bomb in this one. But yeah, what was it? it? Was the Happy Fucking Halloween? Yeah, think, Happy by yeah. the first commissioner. The commissioner. Or yeah. Um. But yeah, Rodrigo, I'd be interested to hear like what um, like why did you think Zoe Kravitz didn't exactly live up? I thought she was really great. Like, I, I, she it's was, not that she did anything wrong. It's just that she didn't like. No, she didn't wow me in the same way that everybody else did. Okay. Yeah, uh, I thought she was really charismatic and kind of fun, and she did she did a good job of playing um, riding the line between like. You know, she had, she had sassy without being like sultry the top about it. Yeah. Sassy, and like, sultry. It felt like she was just kind of like being herself and that's who she was. Um, I loved her, uh, her walking around the club, like making eye contact with people. That's cool. And then like Batman just telling her to like, look at someone more. And she's like, <laughs> listen, man, you don't understand what like uh, staring at a dude does. Like, yeah. 
like what the kind of violence that it implies and that it invites, mm-hmm. like, uh, which is just kind of a fun, like it didn't, they didn't go and talk about that in the movie, but I think it was there, that idea of Batman just being like, just turn around and look him in the eye. And it's like, yeah. Or Listen, like Batman I'm, not caring that he's like <laughs> using his cameras to spy into somebody <laughs> changing in an apartment across the street. I, I don't oh, think uh, Batman is not uh, fully cognizant of the dangers that women <laughs> feel in this world. It is clear. I did like they really so they did a lot in this movie of, um, you know, parallel parallel paralleling, uh, making the Riddler and Batman seem um, like echoes of each other uh, yeah. or like in the same situation. But like. Batman has money and privilege and the Joker was yeah. an orphan without a millions and without an Alfred. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, the two opening scenes where we, we get the, the Riddler and we don't know it's the Riddler for a long time. And he's through through high through tech binoculars. And yeah, I'm sure a lot of people, uh, myself included thought, Oh, this is Batman. This is Batman's going to oh, yeah. break into this guy's house. And like, he's intimidating whatever's going on here. Um, and then to the reveal that like, oh no, it's, it's the Riddler and he's a psychopath and he's just going to beat someone to death. Um, mm-hmm. And then our Batman opens up and he doesn't beat someone to death, but like he comes pretty well close. It seems like he could have if he wanted to, yeah. but he resorted to weapons too, right? I think he had a taser, right? Um, uh, when we first see him fight those people. But um, uh, before I forget, I'm going to jump into this, but Karma and Falcone, Mr. Uh, John Turturro. There you go. I thought this guy stealed the show sometimes, man. I I was really happy to see. I knew he was going to be in the movie, but I didn't know he'd play such a key role in this Mm -hmm. as much as he did. I thought he was going to just be like a side character, gets killed in the first like 20 minutes or 30 minutes. But uh, to have him play such a major role in the history or the relationship with um, Thomas, with the Waynes, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. Also that hint of hush, by the way. Um, uh, the I, the comic book villain when they were talking about Arkham's and the Waynes, but yeah, John was fantastic, and I thought he was scarily intimidating every time he was on screen, uh, especially the scene when he was talking to Bruce Wayne, telling him the entire story about yeah his dad and whatnot, but even talking to um, what's her name Zoe Kravitz, Zoe Kravitz. Kravitz. yeah, mm-hmm. I I thought John was fantastic, and Carmine was a highlight for me, so I really enjoyed his part. It was um, fun having two mobster characters um, and the penguin being sort of the over the top, like bravado uh, mobster who gets to be a little bit more funny. And then Carmine gets to be the, the serious, the yeah. serious, but like that, that interesting sense where like, he, you know, he's kind of creepy, but then he starts talking and you're like, there's something kind of like warm and grandfatherly about him. Yeah. But then right? he reminds you that like, oh no, this is like a terrifying mobster. Yeah. This right. guy's going to uh, whack you at any time. Right? But then, yeah, so. there was that sense where I'm like, I, I don't know. I just got that feeling of like, oh, Comfort. he like, you know, he, he is maybe it's the self-assuredness that comes with like his age where he doesn't have to project fear. Like the Penguin's a mobster trying to rise up through the ranks and Falcone yeah. or Falcone. I think they say it both ways, but Falcone is like a a mobster who's just comfortable and not like he a career have to, mobster that's already he's done. Right. And he's like. I don't need to do anything more. My name is everything already. Right? Yeah, everyone exactly. Knows everyone knows, everyone knows to respect him and protect him. And it gives him like this, like sense of like, um, being very calm and kind of funny and just playing pool. Sure. And yeah. So as we start wrapping up our conversation, I do have some final questions for you guys uh, that you can take as long as you want to answer. Number one, do we think the Riddler knows who Batman is? No. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm going to say no. And it's partly because he couldn't conceive. Like, it's like the, the classic idea that like, how could the, the billionaire who's part of the problem be like a force of vengeance and revolution and like going against mm-hmm. the cops and all that? Uh, so yeah, I don't think he does. I was convinced that he did just like, like well, Batman because was, of that but, scene, that, that mm-hmm. interrogation scene where he's like, Bruce Wayne, hello. And then freaking uh, Robert Panson was, by the way, top tier eye acting from <laughs> Robert Panson in this movie. But, um, you know, he was like, holy shit, does he know who I am? And then I even thought so too when Gordon gets a phone call and he's like, the Riddler wants to talk to you. And Batman was looking at all the new- newspaper clippings. And then his last words to Gordon was like, you're a good cop. So I'm like, oh, is he going to reveal that he's Batman? He's get outed. Yeah, he's about to get outed. But uh, no, I think Matt Reeves was building that tension just for it to be deflated in seconds, yeah. right? Um, I don't believe that um, Riddler knew who Batman was. I think it would be interesting if Riddler finds out who Batman was and it will be, uh, I mean, I, that would be crazy. But yeah. um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like it was way too early for Matt Reeves to reveal that yet, right? I agree. Uh, I, so- I also think that the Riddler didn't didn't figure it out. Like, I think like the part that wouldn't make sense is if he did, he tried to blow up Bruce Wayne, but then addresses future correspondence to the Batman, Batman right? So it's right. like if he did know, I don't think that that would logically right. make sense. In addition to, I think like at some point he even says it that the riddle that I guess the Riddler figured out about Batman is that the Batman is the real identity. And so trying to figure out like who he is behind the mask is kind of like irrelevant for him, right? Because like yeah. the real person that he is, is like the person that he displays at night in the shadows when he's beating up like, you know, uh, people that unfor- have had unfortunate <laughs> circumstances. I don't know what comic is from, but I've always liked there's a, I think there's one where Someone is going to tell the Joker Batman's identity and the Joker shoots them because he's like, don't <laughs> spoil this for me, you fucker. Like, uh, <laughs> it's a fun game. I don't want to know. Like, don't take away my playmate. Like, <laughs> yeah, but I think that's the chaos that Joker ensues, right? Yeah. I mean, I feel yeah. like that that perfectly matches what he wants. So, I mean, I know, in, in, in the oh, comic books, I think he figures it out and then doesn't say it because it's something like, you know, a, rid- it ruins a, the fun. a riddle that everybody knows is worthless. Yeah. Mm hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I just want to address this real quick, Raph. I feel like, I don't know if I'm naive or what, but I honestly did think that they were going to kill Batman in this movie. And I was what? like, I thought like, this is a bold move. I thought like, I actually even thought they were going to kill him with the, um, where? uh, well, when he, with the part where he says like, maybe the, the Batman needs to end. And then I thought they were going to do it when he cuts the the cord cord. and he gets like electrocuted there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Uh, yeah, Obviously it was just more of like a, a rebirth moment where he rises up and is a a force of hope. Uh, But I was, I was at least thinking that it could be possible and that maybe we'll see like a sequel. That's just interesting. A Robin rising up or something. Obviously you just look back and you're like, the the studio (laughs) would not let him not let him do that. But (laughs) no, I mean, um, uh, it would be interesting to see it. I think this bat, this iteration of Batman can die, right? Um, but no, I uh, I didn't feel that. Sorry, Betty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other qu- other question that I have: How did you guys feel about the bat suit compared to other bat suits? That Ooh. chin definition. I, I was looking at a um, a comparison of all the the Batman chins. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Roberts is the best. <laughs> I think this was my favorite. I'm going to show this suit. picture. <laughs> yeah, can you? Uh, I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it and send it and uh, send it uh, to us. Maybe we can put it in the show notes. Uh, oh, there's lots of like, there's, there's plenty of photos online. If you say, um, I don't know how many of them include the, 
the the new bat suit, but but I li- I like the suit though. Uh, I thought it was it was not as bulky, obviously as Ben Affleck's. Right, that one I mm-hmm. hated. I think is a worse suit I've ever seen. Ooh, in my I like life. Ben, I like Ben Affleck's suit oh, too. Come on, man, it's like a box. Yeah, uh, Ben Affleck's is supposed to be like the Dark Knight one, like the, the yeah okay the Dark Knight Returns one, right? Like it's the the old man Batman. I think this one might be my favorite. Um, and then Keaton's is probably still up there. Keaton Kilmer's is really cool too. Uh, but Keaton's is great. Um, I, this is a long shot, but I would love to see someone do a non armored bat suit. Like that would be a real, like get back to the, the man who's just in the shadows and can't take bullets and just doesn't get hit. Like a 1966 PJs Batman. Uh, <laughs> Maybe make it more darker, but kind of, <laughs> yeah. Just something where it's just like, it's just a skin tight, like, you know, he's not, he's not trying to, he's not Iron Man, which, uh, this one, it's not Iron Man. He doesn't have heads up display. He doesn't have any of that stuff going on, but it's closer to an Iron Man than yeah. what I sometimes imagine Batman in the comics being, which is just like, he doesn't ever get hit. He doesn't need to like, yeah. Yeah. He's a master of the shadows. Mm-hmm. What did you think of the suit, Rodrigo? I like from the neck down or a little bit below the neck down. Like I love, I like the costume for the most part. I have two things that I I find because it's almost all chain at the bottom. There's like no See? side all pieces. Chin. Super chin. It's like very bulbous at the top. So it reminded Bruh. me a little bit of the shape of the head of like, say like a Megamind or a Mandark, like <laughs> exaggerated, obviously. <laughs> now that you say it, buddy. But it's kind of like very top heavy. And then the other part is uh, it has like a collar for the cape. Yeah, it does. And I think both of these things are functional more than stylistic in that, you know, Keaton couldn't fucking turn his head, right? Like <laughs> you, at, at some point, if I have to sacrifice what I think Batman looks like in like one single piece, uh, you know, cowling in cape so that Robert Pattinson can do a good job acting, I'm very happy to sacrifice that. But I do think it's like my, all my issues have to do kind of with like the the top piece of the Batman costume, like the chest down. Especially the chest being the batarang, I think was like great and just it, he looks very good. It's just the the two parts were like a little bit of a collar seemed like a bit of a distraction to me in terms of like what I imagined the perfect Batman costume to be. And then just there were some shots where it looked like very top bulbous, you know, like very top heavy. And uh, but then it, like I went back and looked at the the Bale Batman and like. His looks so much uglier now in comparison when I look at the the Pattinson one. Mm-hmm. So I do think like at this point now I've gotten to the point where I think Keaton's looked the best, but just like I know functionally it was like right. horrible to exist in, right? Like it wasn't <laughs> whole something. body movement for the head. Yeah, I mean everyone know? talks the Batman chin, which is a whole thing. Who had the best Batman chin? We know Val Kilmer had the best Batman lips because <laughs> like have you seen the lips on that man? And like oh, it's uh, it's wild. I see the lips now. <laughs> <laughs> Craziness. Sorry, I have to bring up the score. You guys like the score? Did you guys like the uh, Michael? Ge- okay, Rod, take over. Yakino. There okay, was um, the there score was, was one... amazing. The Nirvana song was, was also distracting, amazing. I guess. <laughs> and then putting it twice was too much. I think like, it, it would have been fine just <laughs> the one know. time. I agree. It would have been fine just the one. I did like the full use of the song. I mm-hmm. like the. The use of that Nirvana song, I was happy it was actually in the movie. I thought it might have just been a, a just trailer, a trailer thing. Only, yeah. Yeah. Um, there was, I would say overall, the, the score was really effective. There was maybe one reprise of that like epic, like four note usage near an action scene near the end that I felt like, oh, I wish this 
I wish we just had something else to do here. Like this has just hit a few too many times. But it's, it's hard to say like, because it is, it's an amazing score and I I look forward to uh, working while, (laughs) while sitting in my computer desk and uh, staring at computer screens to it. It's going to get an Oscar next year. You heard it here first. (laughs) My My last question that I had for you guys, just in terms of like, what do you see coming next? from this franchise. I mean, obviously we've had some teases of the Joker. We know that there was potential for some TV shows. Like what, what, what would you like to see or what do you think is going to happen next? I just want Matt Reeves to finish. I just want him to have full control over this in the sense that we're going to see three Matt Reeves films. Right. Um, uh, I I think Toby Emmerich, the head of uh, Warner brothers um, did say that all their future films are going to be filmmaker focused, which I think is because of the success of the Batman and Matt Reeves. So whatever happens next, I'll be happy. I just want to see a complete story with Robert Pattinson's uh, version of Batman and Matt Reeves's vision of Batman. Um, I will. I he, they have earned my trust, and uh, I'm stoked to see what happens next. Uh, I, my only thing is, I hope they don't throw too many spinoffs because I know they're talking. I mean, they had the Gotham Police Department that just got canned. Um, and now they're doing Arkham Asylum and then they have a conversation with the Penguin that's supposed to come out or they're going to start filming in the summer. And then there was a conversation with Selena Kyle. There's too much for now, right? So I just don't want it to be this big, giant explosion of IP when you finish your main product first. So Reminds me I'm of excited. your hot take last week. Exactly! Yeah, I, I guess I would agree with that. Stick to this and don't try to make a universe out of it. Don't try to link this in with Superman. If they make it just like the extended Bat family of like bringing in Oracle and that kind of stuff, that's fun. But I I just don't think, I think things are going to go off the rails really quickly if they try to do the Super Friends using (laughs) this Batman. I don't think it will. I don't know if that fantasy exists in this world, right? Mm -hmm. Like, can you have all a grounded and all of a sudden, like, Batman has to go team up with the alien that flies that shoots lasers out of his eyes? And there's no reason you couldn't bring in Poison Ivy or Mr. Freeze, right? Like, if that exists in the same universe. Mm -hmm. But I can't, I can't, I I can't envision that for them. Um, I think something like Gotham Central uh, PD sounded great in theory. Police Department? Is is that it? Yeah. Uh, Whatever. Anyway. Gotham Central Police Department. But I think like once I read kind of like what that it was going to be like centered around like one corrupt cop. cop and it's kind of like, OK, no, keep it very close to the Batman universe. Like, I don't need a story about that's so distant. That's just basically set in, in, in Gotham. Yeah, I think we've seen iterations of that in the past. So I don't yeah. mind him wanting to do TV shows or expanding beyond. But it's just like have a clear vision of how this ties into Batman not just like throw extra stuff in just make to it throw be it like in. one and done. Right. So if you're going to do an Arkham Asylum, uh, Gotham city or Gotham central police department, um, shows, I want the, I don't want them to be sprawling. I don't want there to be like six seasons. Right. If the, if the Batman's only going to be three movies potentially. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I agree. I think just have a vision and, um, I'm I excited think- to see where this goes though. If they do something, if they want to do something weird with this and like, Oh, we want to do a spinoff, but, you know, we don't want to do like bringing in more. They should do a, I don't know what you would call this, uh, a sequel that would take place far in the future. And it would have Robert Pattinson aged up to old man, Bruce Wayne and do mm-hmm. Batman beyond where he's training oh. like a new, I, I kind of feel like this, maybe it's just the red aesthetic of this movie, but I feel like this universe could work with a uh, Batman beyond either of you fans of Batman beyond. 
I remember watching it when I was younger. Oh, it, it, it was a lot of fun. It was like, I remember you know, suit. Yeah, yeah, different suit. It was a bit of like a Iron Man, Batman. And, yeah. you know, Bruce yeah. Wayne was there, but he was the Oracle behind the desk and he was gruff, angry Bruce Wayne. We're probably going to get a little bit of that of whatever happens with Michael Keaton and the, the Flash movie Flash. or whatever's going on there. But yeah, that's uh, that would be my idea of like, if they can't contain themselves and this franchise is making too much money, like put uh, Robert Pattinson in old man makeup and make him grumpy <laughs> behind a desk. <laughs> well, that's what we're going to call it for our Batman recap. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Uh, go watch it again. Go support your local theater and go watch it one more time. And, you know, tweet us your thoughts. It. No? Okay. Sorry. Let's not do this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> when we come back, we're going to wrap up our episode with uh, Raph's film club recommendation and our hot butter takes. But first, another quick break. The Layered Butter Podcast is brought to you by Red Squirrel Tail. To learn more about them, let's hear from the founder. Hi, I'm Allison, and I create handmade needle felt animals under the name Red Squirrel Tail. I make custom dogs, cats, and woodland creatures like chipmunks, squirrels, and birds. I create ornaments and handmade wreaths inspired by nature and wildlife. If you're looking for a thoughtful handmade gift any time of year, visit my website at redsquirreltail.com. And we're back. Raph, we've been talking about uh, the noir, dark, crime, mystery world of the Batman. Say somebody that's listening to this right now uh, saw the Batman, loved it, and they want something that has this flavor. What would you recommend they go watch? So... Uh, I was going to say, what's it called? Zodiac. But I started thinking, I think it leans a little bit more into seven because we have more on-screen murders. And I think Zodiac is a great, uh, uh, what's it called? Mystery in the sense with the ciphers and the journalistic aspect of it. But I'm going to say David Fincher's seven, right? Uh, Both films should be my film club recommendation because I feel like there's a lot that's taken from it narratively that brings it over to the Batman. But I think uh, David Fincher's Seven um, uh, has a great thriller and serial killer vibe to it, obviously. Um, and it stars a great performance with Brad Pitt and uh, the now-canceled Kevin Spacey. But uh, you guys should go check it. Oh, I heard that. <laughs> what? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, no, I'm actually happy that you recommended Seven. I actually don't love Zodiac. It's weird. I don't see anything wrong with it, but I've watched it twice. And tried watching it a third time to like get it as in to enjoy it. Like everybody hypes it up so much. And both times I find it kind of like boring. Like I, it, I, I detach myself from the, the, the watching the of it pretty fast. The mm. Zodiac killing scene by the lake is. The killing scenes uh, are the yeah, best part uh, of Zodiac. But every time that it's like back to like Robert Downey Jr. And Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, yeah. What are we saying here? Like, I, 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 <laughs> what are we like, doing? <laughs> What time do I have right now? <laughs> but I do love the killing parts. But yeah, no, Seven is great. Seven is my film club recommendation this week. So I feel like if you guys love that movie or uh, just saw Batman and you haven't seen Seven, please go watch it because it is awesome. Check it out. Officially endorsed. Um, <laughs> let's, let's wrap up this episode, guys, with our hot butter takes. I'm going to go first. Uh, mine's pretty dumb. Um, for the, the longest time, 
Daredevil, a little Netflix show that uh, was on Netflix and now is no longer. It's not going to be on Disney Plus, and I don't understand the logistics of it, but I guess I don't get paid to anyway. Um, people have been saying, like, how can like the the dark Netflix TV show exist in the Disney Plus world? And oh, yeah, I think okay. Batman has the, the Batman has done a great job at showing like you don't really see a lot of like guts and gore in this movie because they wanted to keep their PG-13 rating. But it is like dark. It is dark and it exists. It, it, it manages to find the perfect balance of landing their their family friendly rating, but still exemplifying the dark, gritty world of a, a, a corrupt city's underbelly. And I think that's also Daredevil's bread and butter. So I think this movie has proven that it can it can something like Daredevil can be successful. And there's rumors right now saying that they're already going to do a season four of Daredevil. So maybe they have come to this conclusion far earlier than than I have. But, you know, just seeing the uh, Batman and Daredevil are my two favorite comic book characters. So I'm excited to know that a world can exist for them. What about you, Raph? What do you got this week? So my hot take this week is that I think Baz Luhrmann has a new film coming out this year called Elvis, starring Austin Butler as the titular Elvis Presley. And this man, Tom Hanks, as I guess his um, uh, his agent or uh, manager. Mm-hmm. And Baz Luhrmann hasn't made a film since I think The Great Gatsby, so what, 2013? So 10 years ago, right, since he made a film. And I feel like his return to filmmaking and his return to cinemas is going to be an absolute fucking dud. And the main reason, I think the story of Elvis is going to be interesting. I think Austin Butler is going to be a great performance. The trailer looks great. But why would the fuck are you going to cast Tom Hanks as this Midwestern man who's going to be the guiding light for Mr. Elvis Presley? But his voice takes me all out of this story that Baz wants to tell. I mean... If you guys have not seen this trailer, you guys have to see this trailer. And then after that, you'll get a message Rodrigo and ask him to do the retelling of this trailer, just like he would with a Nicole Kidman AMC ad. Okay? Because it is atrocious. And I think that maybe next year, Tom Hanks is going to get a Razzie nomination for this performance. And um, it's going to push me away from watching Baz Luhrmann's return to cinema. So that is my hot take. Have you guys seen the trailer? Yeah. No? I saw it. I and? have. I Your feels on Tom Hanks? I don't have the Ferris wheel. He's like, oh, you're going to be a great man. <laughs> can't do I, it, man. I love Tom Hanks. I'm not going to oh. speak ill of Tom Hanks. You will not. But he's, he's going to pull like the Leonardo DiCaprio where all I'm going to see and hear is Tom Hanks. What and Leo it, are you talking about? Well, Leonardo, uh, my, my thing with Leo is that I feel like this man is not a great actor because every time I see him act, I just see Leonardo DiCaprio. I'm like, no, you are not. You know, I mean, it's a pretty hot take to say that Tom Hanks is not going to be a good actor, though. In this, buddy, I don't know. Have you seen? Um, I know you've seen it, but I mean, I think it's going to be pretty, pretty bad. This is a COVID movie, too. I think he got COVID doing this movie, and I think it maybe ruined his performance. Oh, no way. We'll (laughs) We'll have to see. I mean, I do agree that it's like as soon as I heard his voice, I was like, that's Tom Hanks. But I'm good at recognizing voices in general. Um, my biggest question is like this person that they've hired to play Elvis. I don't know him. Is, do you guys know him? I think it's Austin Butler. Is that his name? Isn't he with Vanessa Hudgens? That's all I know. So we don't know him <laughs> is what you're saying. <laughs> no, wait, he was in a once a time upon a once a once upon a time, once upon a time in Hollywood. 
Oh, Wasn't he plays he the of, hippie who gets the crap beat out of him by, for yeah, putting yeah, the... Yeah. I think he says that line where he's like, like, am I the devil or something like that? I don't know. And Brad Pitt like laughs at his face. Oh, he's but, that um, one? He's Okay, is he the same one that Brad Pitt beats up at the ranch because he like puts a knife in his, um, oh, in shoot, his tire? Oh, shit, could be. It might be the he's, same one. But I think you're right. He's the one who's... Uh, who Brad Pitt he, just laughs at? <laughs> he is Tex Watson. But other than that, I have no idea who this man is. Oh yeah, okay. He's yeah. he's not the one who gets beat up. He's the one who's riding the horse like dramatically oh, is he? towards, Never and mind. then he doesn't get there in time, and Brad Pitt takes off in that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Let's see if he's gonna get an Oscar nomination. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my hot take of the week will bring us back to Batman to close things off, and it's. It's a real simple hot take. It's just that the Batman is it's gritty in all the ways that Zack Snyder wishes that his movies were gritty. Um, and in some ways, like I kind of want to see uh, Matt Reeves take on Watchmen and we could Ooh, get like a, a Watchmen. I mean, it, you know, Rorschach is obviously our, like a Batman. He's just a Batman who is psychotic and not kind of psychotic. Right. Uh, but just seeing what he did with this, like, yeah, I wouldn't mind give, give Matt Reeves like $10 million and, uh, 10 episode HBO show to do the, the Watchmen that we've never got. Uh, and I, that's saying as someone who does like Zack Snyder's Watchmen movie for all of its problems. Um, did you watch Damon Lindelof's, uh, Watchmen on HBO? I did. And I really like that as well. Um, Good. I gotta yeah. go back and reread Watchmen. My <laughs> only my, complaint that's about my hot take. That TV show is um, what was up with the slippery dude? The one yeah, that I was went into the bring up. Yeah. I'm still like sometimes I'm uh, in bed and I'm just thinking like, so what? Oh happened my with god, the in bed dude? you're like, Who, what, what's up with that guy? I like. It let's just, end this not on a hot take, but on a slippery take. That's yeah. Rodrigo he slippery just take. into that hole, and then we never explored that further. Or maybe Bro. it's like I, I don't I didn't follow the plot closely enough. If anybody knows what the deal was with that slippery dude, send I me mean, a message. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's I guess where we'll call it for this week. Ending on the slippery dude. Uh, make sure to follow Layered Butter <laughs> at Layered underscore Butter on Twitter, at Layered Butter on Instagram, and uh, you know LayeredButter.com for all your your content and store purchases that you may need. You can find me everywhere at R Cocting R C O K T I N G. Uh, let me know your Batman thoughts. I really want to hear uh, what you have to say. So if you're listening to this episode, find me on some social media platform and tell me what you thought of the Batman. Uh, Raph, where can people find you? You can find me on Letterboxd at JRaphael. Or you can find me on Instagram at JRaphael Cordero. And yes, I want to hear your Batman thoughts and uh, we want to talk. Let's uh, find us. Hey, is Discord a thing? Hit us up on Discord. And Jordan, where can people find you? You can find me on Letterboxd at jsloggett, that's J-S-L-O-G-G-E-T-T at Letterboxd. And uh, yeah, go check out Raph's um, The Batman Review on LayeredButter.com. Oh, thanks, buddy. Five out of five <laughs> is what he gave it. So check out, read it, read it, uh, and let us know if you think he's right or not. Woohoo! That's going to be it for this week. We will catch you next week with another new episode. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. I'm Batman. <laughs> <laughs>